0: Good morning. Good morning, great to be back. People have been asking me how was uh, our month of sabbatical. Well, how, how can I describe something? I have no point of reference because I've never had a sabbatical before and Michelle and I have never had a sabbatical. So I'm going to describe some of the essence of it. There was a lot of quietness. Um, there were days when Michelle and I hardly spoke to one another. Uh there was a lot of restfulness, as in not doing things. Uh, it was getting off the normal scheduled routine, getting out of that, and waking up because I wake up fairly early, waking up, getting a coffee, sitting down in the word, and before I know it, it was nine thirty, you know waking up at six and and wor- listening to worship, um, and then, Getting into it, reading the book that I chose for the sabbatical, and before I knew it, it was lunchtime, and that was kind of day after day. And then in the second half of the sabbatical, beginning to write things down that God was um, putting on my heart. So to me, and from Michelle and I, we just want to say thank you to you all for your gracious uh, expectation and and desire for us to go and to spend time like that. Um, that was a gift. And we were so blessed, and we pray that what God put in it to us during that time uh, will be a blessing to you all. I um, want to share um, Daryl handed me this, and I just want to share I think this is a word for someone here this morning um, from the Lord to someone here, "Great is my love. Rest in that love in this time of turmoil. My love is gentle. But it's not soft. Love, my love is strong but not harsh. It is the strength you need to go forward to my victory in this time. Mm, Mmm, good word. If that's uh, for you, you can come and get that off me um, after service. We are the church Jesus gave everything for. Uh, You know, I love the church of Jesus. I remember my um, Bible college lecturer saying that with tears in his eyes. I love the church of Jesus. I wonder whether we could all say that. No, don't say it out loud. I'm wondering whether that's how you feel about the church. How are we going? Yeah, one, two, seven, nine. (laughs) I can't count. Um, Jesus gave it all for the church. He considered us in the year 2020 that he looked ahead to people just like us and said, I'll give it all for them. And he did it in such a way that even while we weren't even thinking about him, he was giving it all. I am deeply, deeply grateful to God that he counted me as something of worth in that kind of state. And not only that, it wasn't just personal, it wasn't just an individual thing, he counted us. He, he, he wanted a lot of people, but not just a lot of individual people who are standing individually in a crowd, but one that's that look at each other and go, I'm a part of you and you're a part of me. So over the next couple of weeks we're going to look at a little passage in Acts and we're just going to look at a few things out of that passage that talk about the church that Jesus gave everything for and we're going to reflect on that and we're going to be challenged by that and God is going to challenge you because I believe that Jesus wants us to love one another as he loved us now I've got to tell you that's deeply challenging but my focus is is not to make you feel that that's a burden. My focus is to, for you to just focus your attention on Jesus who gave it all. And everything that you look at when it comes to the church comes out of that vision of focus that we place on Jesus. He'll, he'll, he'll give you what you need for his church because he loves it. He'll inspire you. He'll bring from your innermost parts... Thoughts and ideas and compassion and grace and generosity, you would have never thought you could do. It's not a have to. This comes from the heart of God and he wants to fill our heart with that grace. So, this is some of the verses and we're not going to look at every single point today. We're just going to look at a few, the underlying parts in the scriptures ...here from Acts chapter 2... ...which is a passage that happens straight after... ...the explanation of the day of Pentecost... ...and the last words before verse 42 say... ...and 3,000 people were baptised and believed. So the church begins with 3,120 people... ...and it's a great start and a lot of excitement... ...and then it goes on and describes this passage which isn't just about the day, but actually a period of time, probably a couple of years of time, describing what the church became and what people belonged to. And um, uh, we're going to just look at a few things. We're not going to talk about the what today. We're going to look at the, at the heart. What was the heart of the church that had just started? Um, and can I just say to you, sometimes we exalt the church, the New Testament church, as if this particular passage and the ones that talk about what the church was like as if they were perfect they're just like us so imperfect Um, but you know we can have really great seasons where we do well well this is just a picture of a do well season and you know what i've got a heart for us as a church as a part of the bigger church that we would have seasons of great fruitfulness and great Uh, examples of God's grace that makes a big example to the world that that needs God so desperately. Let's just pray. Lord God, we just pray as we come to your word, Holy Spirit, would you re-inspire this? Would you breathe on the word again? Would you breathe on this and cause your word to move our hearts? We pray, Lord, that this heart would become action and it would um, absolutely change the way we see you, each other, and the world that we live in. Amen. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And day after day, they met in the temple area, continuing with one mind and breaking bread in various private homes. They were eating their meals together with joy and generous hearts. They devoted themselves. Uh, when Megan prayed earlier, I heard the word consecrate. Now, the word devoted and the word consecrate are not words that are very common or often used in our culture, in our word. The word devoted might be uh, used, to, oh, he's very devoted to his work or very devoted to this. But it's not a common idea. And certainly, uh, the world is not known for its devotion. Uh, in fact, when someone is very devoted to something good, it's a bit of a standout. It, we actually notice it because it is so unlike the rest of us. And um, uh, it's interesting, these little, three little words, they devote them themselves now, that word devoted is actually a word in the Greek and the Hebrew, if you look at its use in both things. It's this, this consecration thing. It's actually connected to a sacrifice. It's actually connected to the temple worship. It's actually this idea, but it's also this uh, thing of t- uh, giving something to God or promising something to God. Um, in the Old Testament, if you devoted something to God, it was no longer yours, you gave it away. Uh, And if you said you were going to do it, you needed to do it. There was no taking it back. They devoted themselves. Uh, uh, An example of this devotion was in in Acts uh, chapter, um, the end of chapter, uh, I think it is, 3. You have the story of um, where you're told about a summary story. Sorry, Acts chapter 4. You have this summary where, and they were um, selling Some of these people were selling their possessions and giving to those who had need. And then you go to chapter 5 and you have this very strange story about a couple called Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that story? You know what happens to them? What happens? They both got dead in a day, right? But why? They tried to deceive, they conspired to cheat God what were they cheating god off see in chapter 4 we read that they, they were people were selling their possessions to give to those who had need there was something they were devoting to god as a part of devoting themselves to god and it got to the point where that meant if you had something and someone needed it you'd sell it and give it to them and then Ananias and Sapphira devoted their land to the Lord and went. We'll only give seventy-five percent, or fifty percent, or what? We don't know what percentage it is. What we know is they withheld some of that and brought the rest to the apostles' feet and everybody. And God pointed out to the apostles they've been deceptive here, and there was a judgment that came on them, and both of them died. And it says there there was a great fear fell amongst. All. Why? Because there was a judgment. A a judgment from God. They both died. That's pretty serious, right? Why? Why did God judge them? Why did they both die for keeping back a bit? Doesn't it Doesn't it weigh in that God, when you devote something to God, he takes it seriously? And this is a reminder not to mess with your devotion to God. If you say that you're giving something, don't take it back and make sure that you deliver. God takes your word seriously. Just as he he devotes himself and gives himself to something, he will not shirk, he will not go half, he gives it all they devoted themselves Um, the word devotion means to dedicate to commit to promise to and to set apart Uh, jesus talked about this uh, not long before he went to jerusalem Uh, in matthew 16 we read this he's talking about a group of people who were devoted to him and he, he, he actually upped the ante. He said, so, okay, let's talk about devotion. Let's talk about you following me, what it really means. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. That is what they devoted themselves to looks like. There is this dying to self. And uh, I think we're coming into a period of history in this particular day and hour where self-preservation amongst people, and particularly in the church, is going to define us. Whether we will seek to preserve our life, to stay healthy, to keep what we have, to, to make sure that my I'm okay, to make sure that mine are okay and and we are going to be challenged as a people in the future as to whether we will put our lives in God's hands whether we will deny ourselves and say God my life is is your life I would my life is devoted to you so if if you if if my life runs short because I am serving you and doing something that causes it to die it's, that's the go. It, my finances, my house, all these things that you've given to me, Lord, they are like, you know, this whole idea of this being mine, I think the Western society is very strong on that. We're very strong on health. We're very strong on wealth. We're very strong on looking after ourselves. Um, but the church is going to be defined in the future by whether we seek self-preservation or whether we lay down our lives and give of ourselves. And before I move to this, um, ooh, go back, go back, the um, story comes to mind. Um, in the second century, so a couple of hundred years after Jesus, uh, there was a couple, uh, in, uh, around 100 AD, and then a little bit, a little bit late, later, there were two major plagues that hit the known world. And in those plagues, Hundreds and millions of people died. Uh, they say up to a third of the world 's population were wiped out by these plagues. they, they don 't know what it exactly was, but they believe it could have been smallpox. Obviously, the medicine didn 't exist at all. Um, but what was happening uh, at that point in time christianity wasn 't um, hadn 't become the world religion paganism and um, the Roman gods and Diana and Her- I don't know, not Hercules, Zeus, and all, all these gods and, and paganism, witchcraft and animism, and all these isms, they, they were pre- prevalent throughout the Roman Empire and Christianity wasn't widespread. Um, but what happened is, is that during the second round of, of plague, um, people realised that you needed to get away from it. So they would take anybody who got sick and who was really sick and they'd throw them out in the street to die. They wouldn't feed them, wouldn't give them anything and they would close the door and try to protect themselves from contamination. And the Christians never did that. The Christians actually looked after one another and then they started to go out in the streets and to bring those people who had been abandoned into their homes and to care for them. And uh, I was reading this little part that said In about a a third of the cases of people that were abandoned, just by sheer, just giving them something to drink, giving them something to eat and looking after them, they recovered. And historians noted, and it created a new virus. It was a virus of faith. Historians noted that the Christians who put their lives at risk to, to look after those who had a virus that could kill them They they were saving people, and they too would some Christians would die um, from the the disease. They get it from the people that were infected, but other Christians didn't die, and they looked after each other. And there was this growing number of people who survived the disease, and the love and the compassion that this community of uh, Christians throughout the Roman Empire created a wave of faith that led to eventually to Rome saying Christianity is our state religion. Now, there's some good parts to that and bad parts to that, but we won't go into church history. But I can just say this to you. These people did not put self-preservation first. They put it all. If you're going to get a, a virus that could kill you, you lose everything. You could lose your whole family. You could lose your business. You could lose everything. I am so inspired by that this is what they devoted themselves looks like. And you can read this in this passage. It's another word in that passage that we looked at and that's the word fellowship. Again, this is an old word and it's not a common word used out in our everyday world. Uh, it comes from the Greek word koinonia or koinonia and it really simply means it's a common union, a common union, having a common union. What does that mean? Having a common union, something that brings you together. Now you can have a communion about New South Wales, the state of origin. So I have a common union with all the Blues. Is there any Blues in the house this morning? I am so no. Ah, oh, Sandy, yes. I have common union with you over else <laughs> over the fact that we beat you thirty four ten. Woo! So there's only two of us in the room, but that'll. Oh, Sean. Oh, of course. He's a, He's. A, I have a. So I have a common union with Sean over the Manly Seagulls. And I go way back to Bobby Fulton, 1974, right? We figured out that we, we started following at the same time. We have a common union. But that's fairly superficial union. But what I share with all of you in this room is this. That one day I believed that Jesus died for my sins. That three days later he rose from the dead. That he gave me new life when I believed in him and turned to him. He's filled me with with his spirit and I'm born again. That little message is what is our common union. We can believe lots of things about lots of things that we don't agree on but we can agree on that. There's lots of different denominations that believe different things. But if they believe that simple, Jesus died on a cross for the forgiveness of sins, that he rose again and defeated the power of sin, death and Satan, and has given me new life, that'll do for me. I can disagree with you about almost everything else that you believe, but if you believe that, you're a born-again brother and sister of Christ. I have a common union with you. Do you know what? I refuse to get on Facebook and have a go at another church because they believe and say things differently to me. I will not enter in to having a go at another church for seeing things different, even if I think they're wrong. You know Why? I got too much good stuff to do with that simple message that says that Jesus has given me a new life he's forgiven my sins he's brought me into his eternal family and I'm going to share that with you if I disagree with you about everything else I'm not going to have a go at you I could I could be right so what where does it get us ripping each other down Our job is to find our common union and to love one another and to serve one another and encourage each other and to actually say uh, this common union means that we share a spiritual DNA. That means we share blood. And that trumps everything. I mean, how many of you have got family members you don't like? There's that saying about family that you you can pick your friends but you've got you, you're stuck with your you you can't choose your family well look around <laughs> you're stuck with me and each other. We might all be different personalities we might come different backgrounds we might believe slightly different things about about what it means to be a Christian or a church or whatever, but as long as I've got that common union with you, I am bound to you by blood. I am bound to you to love you. I am bound, when you wrong me, to forgive you. I am bound to do good for you, to bless you, to encourage you, to, to set myself devoted to you as a person as because you're part of me. I'm a part of you, you're a part of me. We share a common dad. We have a brother who laid it all down for us and brought us into his eternal family. This is our common union and we go for it. When one is weak, we go, we support them and we bring together our strength to make them strong. When one is suffering, we all suffer and we get alongside them and we suffer with them. That's what it means to have a common union the church is his temple, they met in the temple and houses. Um, I like this expression, um, our hearts, plural, is his home. Um, they did meet in the temple and houses and I've actually been in sermons where people have made a big deal out about the fact that the, that you meet big in, the, in, in a big place like this and then you meet in life groups and and that you know they talk about all these things, but you know what? The reality is, is that where you meet is not as important as the people that meet, and that is the church. Uh, I recently heard when I was talking to somebody about um, what it's like for people who live in a in a country where meeting together as the church is illegal and is punishable by imprisonment or death. Right. Can you imagine that? I can't. I can't. <coughs> I've been to some of the, um, I've flown through some of the the Saudi countries uh, on the way to Europe, and you you kind of remind yourself this is not a Christian country. You can't act like you would back in Australia. You have to remind yourself. <coughs> but here's someone told me in those countries, if you want to be with your fellow Christians in an open and safe way you get in a car and you drive somewhere that's church you turn off your phones or leave your phones at home and you go for a drive and that's church because they can chat they can talk, they can talk about Jesus they could read the Bible, they can share what God means to them they can care about each other. They can pray for one another and no one's going to hear and no one's going to listen and no one's going to notice that they've stayed still long enough to be noticed because they're just going for a drive. They met in the temple and houses. You know, the commitment... Um, I've I got to say, I don't know whether COVID will, have a, will raise its ugly head again in Queensland and in Australia and we will be forced to, to go into lockdown again. But what I want to say to you is is that I keep telling people there is nothing more important in this day and age that we look after one another, that we meet regularly with each other, that we care for one another and that we see ourselves as the church of Jesus and not as individual Christians who are isolated from one another. We must not forsake the meeting together. That's what Hebrews says. We must not ignore that as being important. And You know what? Uh, we made a decision early on in COVID not to put content equals church. Um, some uh, We made a decision to go Zoom and not just put a um, worship and and a sermon so that people w- might not say, I've done church today. Their content is actually really good. Worship, sung worship is really good and listening to teaching is good, but can I just say to you, that is not church. It's a part of what people do when they belong together, but it is not church. Even this is not church. The things that we do do not equal being church, belonging. You and me, we're in relationship and we do our faith and life together. That's church. And it includes worship. It includes meeting around the word. It includes laughing and eating and Doing fun stuff, it includes having meaningful conversations and discussions. It means taking what's in our heart and sharing it with those outside the church. It's all those things. The church is his temple. In, in, in the Old Testament, um, the the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, the word meant dwelling or home. And in the New Testament, the reality for us is, is that we have become God's home, his dwelling. Now, I can personalise that and say, I am. Uh, Paul says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But can I just say to you, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the mobile tent of meeting. Wherever we go, God goes. And that is what we have to keep remember. We, the people, not the building. This building is not a temple. It's not, I don't like the, the expression, isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? Something about that. We've got a we've got a pioneer startup congregation in New Farm. Guess where they meet? Under a tree in New Farm Park. Right? And if it rains, they go somewhere else undercover. They're not bound by a building. And I'm not saying they're better than this. I'm just saying this doesn't equal the church. The church is where we are gathered together, intentionally, meeting together. Um, there is one little phrase that you're NIV and ESV translations, if you read those, don't have in verse 46. See if you can spot the difference. What's left out of the ESV version on the top from the bottom? It's interesting. This is a significant word, and the ESV and the NIV don't even translate it. Yeah, one mind and breaking ear, and they were eating it together. Um, this is the word that they don't translate. I don't understand. I've tried to look up. Why did they not put this in? But I thought it was an important word. Homo therumid, Homo Sounds like a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Two words combined. So, t- uh, what do you call it? Two words combined. Conjunction. Sorry. Uh, combined, rush along in unison. This is a musical term um, and it basically means it's these notes that come together and they harmonise. Different notes, but put together, they become a harmony. That's what one mind and one heart is. In Acts chapter 4, the church is described as having one heart and one soul. It is Homo Thummidon. This is the heart of this church. They were rushing along in unison. They had a beautiful harmony. They, had, they were one accord. They were one mind. They had one heart, one soul, one mind out of their common unity. Out of their devotion for God, their devotion for one another, and their devotion to share Jesus with the world, they had this Homo Thummidon. And I just say to you, that touches my heart. And the only way that I know that you can get that is by doing um, the devotion that we've got. We are Jesus' church that gave everything. And we are devoted. And we have a common unity. And we are God's meaning place. Our hearts is his home. And we can be of one mind, heart and soul when we focus our attention on what He has done for us. And we give ourselves to him first and then to one another. We've run out of time. I need to let you go. Um, So much more to dig into in this passage. Remember, this is not the what. This is the heart. And you know what? I want you to imagine. What would it look like if we became like that? What new heart look like, if we were devoted like that? If we started to operate with that common unity, we really believed in God that wherever we met, whether it be two or three gathered, that God was meeting with us, and finally that we had one heart, one mind, one soul, and that was coming because God's Spirit was working in us. What would it look like? Would it be the same? Would it increase in its intensity? And would it result in many being added? Because that's the end part of this passage, which we didn't read today. Let's pray. God, we just want to say thank you. Together, we say thank you that you brought us together. You saved us personally, but then you placed us together and said, Your family. Love me, love one another, and I love the world that I placed you in. Lord, this is such a privilege and an honor to be a part of this great family. I want to thank you for that. I pray that we would bring glory to your name and that this, this little local community, this expression of your family, would do well at worshipping you with all our heart, soul, and mind. That we would do really well at loving one another as you loved us. And that we would be excellent in representing that love to the world. God, help us to love the church that you gave everything for, the way you do. Amen. Great to be back with you guys. Your fam, my peeps. (laughs) Have a great week.